What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for being here with us on this Thursday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Arrico, and I am your host. I'm also the lead fantasy baseball analyst for Sports Ethos and for SportsEthos.com. And you guys can find me on Twitter, at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Hit the follow button there. You never miss any of my shows, any of the threads that I put out every single day, or any other random bits of information that I share. Every now and then, I will also share another show from the Sports Ethos platform. So go ahead, hit the follow button there. Also, I'd really appreciate you guys leaving a five-star review on the podcast, whether it be on Apple, Google, Spotify, however it is that you consume the show. Really appreciate you guys hitting the five-star button and showing some support that way. Let's get right into our show today. We're going to look back on maybe eight or nine of the top performing players from yesterday. We're going to talk about my game of the night today or game of the day. There's a lot of day games going on. So I'll talk about my favorite pitching matchup going on there. And then we will look a little bit into the waiver wire and talk about a couple of the more added players today. There's a few guys who've been added today who I think are really strong ads for this week in the short term and also going forward rest of season. So we will touch on that closer to the end of the show. We will start off, as always, with the top performing player from yesterday. And it's kind of a toss-up here. There's a couple of guys who could who could very well take this crown. You could go with Aaron Nola. You could go with Sandy Alcantara, and I think I'm honestly going to start off with Jay Cronenworth because for me, I think he had a really fantastic game. It was great to see him break out a little bit here, and we will we will dive into that right now. So he was three for four. He was a triple shy of the cycle. He scored three times and drove in five while also getting a walk in there. He's only at 226 on the season with the six home runs, but honestly, he hasn't been too bad considering the second base position, uh, position excuse me, and the production that you typically get out of a second baseman is not usually very great. There's, there's some second baseman who can provide you value, obviously, at the top there, but there is a bit of a fall-off once you get past the first maybe 10 or so names. Obviously, you have guys who are eligible at second base, like Mookie Betts and Trey Turner and Tommy Edmond, who don't really play there too much, Ty France. Uh, if you're looking into just straight-up second baseman, and I know for fantasy purposes you can you can stick these guys anywhere that they're eligible, really. But in terms of second baseman, there's not too many that I'm liking more than Cronenworth at this point. I mean, Chisholm, uh, obviously Trevor Story, uh, Jose Altuve, Ozzy Albies, Marcus Semien. There's a few, but honestly, there's not too many of them. Cronenworth is really a valuable asset, and I know that He's kind of, I don't know, not that he's been dropped a lot, really. He's still 83% rostered on Yahoo, but it was it was quite a bit higher closer to the beginning of the season. He was closer to the 90% range. So uh, there has been a little bit of, I'm, I don't know how to put it exactly. People haven't shown a lot of faith in Cronenworth this season. I think that he's a solid option, especially considering he's eligible at first, second, and short. Now, obviously, you'd like him to get the strikeout number back down to where it was last year. He's striking out about 22% of the time this season, as opposed to about 14 last year. He's also raised his walk percentage. He was at 8.6% last year. He's up to 10 for the season. But overall, we, we can see a bit of a better version of him still. Uh, the batting average on balls in play is 270. A little bit of room to grow there. Not a lot, but a little bit of room to grow. He should be able to hit closer to where he has these last couple of seasons in the 260 to 280 range. So, like I said, he's... At a very weak second base position, he is one of the more valuable targets, especially because he has the multi-position eligibility. Let's go into Aaron Nola. He is the next player we will talk about here. And he had one of his best games of the season. Maybe not his best because he's had quite a few strong outings, but he went eight innings last night, giving up just four hits and striking out six in the victory at Milwaukee. 
He's got his ERA down to 350. And last year, we were looking at, uh, what was it last year? 463. He has definitely shown improvement from that number. And if we're looking at it, he's pretty much where you expect him to be in terms of the advanced stats. The batting average on balls in play actually has a little bit of room to go up. He's only averaging uh, 257 on balls in play. Typically, he's a little bit closer to 300. So there's that's a little bit of worry there. Not Nothing too bad. But if you do look at the 350 ERA, his expected ERA is 281. The fielding independent pitching is 325, which are factors that show you um, they kind of try and take away the fielding in the equation and just look at the quality of the pitches. Based on those numbers, we are definitely seeing a better version of Aaron Noah than we saw last year. Another number that really jumps out to me is the year-over-year reduction in the walk rate. So if we go back to 2019, he was walking 9.4% of batters. 2020, it was 8. Last year, it was 5.2. And this year, we're at 3.4%. That is his walk rate. That is really, really good. So he has walked, uh, let's see, he's walked 10 batters in 74 innings. That's fantastic. That's something that if he can keep up is going to really play well for him, not only this season, but for the rest of his career, if he's able to keep that walk number. I don't know if we'll be able to see it this low forever. 3.4 is is incredibly low. Might see him bounce back up somewhere into the 5 to 7 kind of range as time goes on. But what he's given you this year is great strikeout numbers. He's striking out 29% of batters, which is well above this, uh, the league average. Obviously, the great walk rate, which has resulted in a .88 whip, which is obviously great for you guys in category leagues. I tend to prefer category leagues, although I do play in points leagues as well. But either way, he's, he's played for you, right? The four wins, maybe you'd hope for a little bit more from him through 12 starts, but we have to understand also that the Phillies have not performed up to expectations. So hopefully, new manager now, second half of the season, second, I guess, the last two-thirds of the season here. Hopefully, we can see him go over that 10-win number. It is crazy to see if you look back even 10 or so years ago, pitchers, there was a lot more a lot more routinely you'd see pitchers get around the 20-win mark, and now it's very rare that you'd see someone get there. Even the elite of the elite pitchers in the league tend to not end up at 20 wins. I think the only pitcher who did end up last year with 20 was Julio Urias, and I think there was a couple of 18s and, and whatnot, but we, we live in a different baseball world than the one that I grew up in, and I'm sure the one that a lot of you guys grew up in. It makes sense based on the way that the game has gone and the way that we see. Uh, we, we talked about this with Michael Govier when he was on the other day about how we are so risk averse, especially in, in the sports world here, that they just go out of their way to try and make sure pitchers don't get injured. So you don't really see 200 inning guys anymore. Like Mark Burley, a guy who I loved watching growing up, every season he got to 200 innings, I think except for maybe one or two years in his career. They just don't build pitchers like that anymore. Or maybe they are built like that anymore, but we don't get to see it because managers don't really allow that to happen. And maybe it's beyond the managers. Maybe it's the front office and the guys who are actually throwing the money out on these contracts, the owners who are signing these deals. They want their investment protected, so they don't want these guys to go out there and throw 250 innings, I'm sure. It's kind of a wise move, I guess, from the owner's perspective. But like I said the other day, it kind of puts uh, an inferior product out on the field. And I know I've kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent here. This isn't really so much about Aaron Nola. It's more in general about the way that teams are managed and games are managed. It's very hard. It's very hard to plan the win category, which is why a lot of people, especially in fantasy, hate the win category as a standard 5 by 5 It's been there forever. Uh, some people prefer quality starts, which is pretty much – it's just as hard to come across, really, if you think about it. Six innings, I mean, you have to go at least five innings for a win. You have to go six for the quality start. 
the three run three earned run threshold for the quality start is uh, kind of difficult. I mean, you can get the win if you go five innings and give up six runs. If your team scores seven, you can be in line for the win there. They're different categories. I'm honestly not a huge fan of either of them, and I think over the years, maybe as a fantasy community, we'll figure out a better category than wins. I'm not sure exactly what it would be. Uh, it's it's tough to say, and it it does kind of make sense, but it made more sense in the older MLB, I think, and in this in this version of baseball that we live in. I don't know that it makes the most sense to still have wins as a fantasy category. But anyway, that's enough out of me on that. Let's move on to Sandy Alcantara because you could also make an argument that he had the best game yesterday. He went nine innings. The game did go to a tenth inning, so it wasn't a complete game for him. But he did strike out six and gave up six hits. That was that was it for the line. There was no runs. There was no walks. He was solid, guys, and he has continued to be, I I think at this point, it's hard to say that he's not the hottest pitcher, at least, in baseball. This season, he has been remarkable. Uh, there's, there's There's no way to put it other than that, really. If you look at last year, he was also really good last year, but the Marlins never gave him any run support. He was 9 and 15, despite his 3.19 ERA. And it was really tough to roster him last year. I had him on a couple of different teams. I traded for him in one league. I traded him in a different league. I forget who I got back now. But he was someone who was kind of hard just because of the lack of wins. It wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, impossible to roster him last year. He still, was, he still was serviceable. But, I mean, this year we've already seen him win six games through his first 12 after winning only nine in 33 last year. So that's a huge bump in category leagues. We are seeing the strikeouts. They're pretty much the same. Last year, he was a 24. This year, 24.1. He's actually uh, walking a few more batters than he was last year. He's at 7.5% as opposed to 6 last year. But that's not something we're going to worry about too much. One thing I am a little bit concerned about, just a touch. It's not not massive. But he's leaving more than 80% of batters on base. 81.6% of batters are being left on base. And his batting average on balls in play is only 243. Now, he does have a lower BABIP than most pitchers do. His is for the career at 267. So 243 is not the biggest of worries for me. But there is a little bit of room for that to regress back to the mean. You guys who listen to the show regularly know that I use that phrase quite a bit, regression towards the mean one way or the other. That is something I'm a little bit worried about there. Not that massively, but it's something to keep an eye on. Obviously, the left on base percentage, that will probably go back to somewhere around the 70-72% mark. He is 74 for his career. League average is between 70 and 71 somewhere. So you expect that to probably go down a little bit as the year goes on. His ERA is, I think, one point, it's 1.61. His fielding independent pitching is 2.96 so he has actually gotten a little bit lucky uh, on the season the expected era 2.55 the fielding independent pitching is 2.96 so as dominant as he has been as great as he's been don't kill me for this guys but i think it might be a decent time to sell and i don't think that i'm not advocating this necessarily but i think his value is at a crazy high uh, he's the eighth-ranked player in category leagues. He's the second-ranked player over the course of the last month, and you can pretty much write your own ticket with him if you have someone that you have in mind. Maybe you drafted Alcantara. You like him okay. You're a little bit worried, and now a couple of the numbers I've thrown out there have made you a little bit more worried. You can pretty much trade him for whoever you want at this point. Like I said, he's the eighth-ranked player on the season if you wanted to go out and try and acquire someone who is like a top-tier talent. Like, you could maybe even try for... Like, let's say you're strong on pitching. You don't really need Alcantara, as great as he's been, and you're looking for a little bit of help on your batting lineup. 
you could go out and maybe get like a Trey Turner for him. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. It, it might you might have to throw in a second piece there or something. But I see this as being a little bit uh, a little bit of a sell high moment just because some of the underlying numbers are a little bit concerning, right? The walk rate being a little bit higher. It's not a big deal, only a percent and a half, but it's it's more base runners. It's more base runners than he would like. The left on base, like I said, it's a bit higher than what we can expect going forward, 81.6. He's never had a number like that. In 2018, he was close to that in his six games pitched, but we can't really count six games pitched. It doesn't really matter in terms of what we're talking about here. So 81.6, that will almost definitely come down into the 70s, and he'll start allowing some more runs in. Not that it'll be the end of his value, but I don't think that he'll be a top 10 player throughout the season. So if you did have another top 10 kind of player in mind, I think there's a decent chance that you might be able to swing that right now. So let's say Trey Turner, and we'll talk about Trey Turner anyway because he had a good game himself yesterday. But if you did try and go for someone like him, I think it's possible that you, you'd get your offer accepted. If you're talking a redraft format, I think that it is a possibility. I don't know that people are going to be jumping at it, but Alcantara has so much positive hype around him right now. The press is really in on him. A lot of analysts are in on him. People are saying he's the best pitcher in baseball think it's a little hyperbolic and I think that maybe there's an opportunity to eke out a little bit of extra value from him there so let, let's talk about Trey Turner yesterday Trey went two for four he did have a home run he scored twice another great game for him and he's putting together another great season after having a little bit of a slow start but his numbers to this point in the season he is the 11th ranked player in category leagues he has 28 runs he's homered seven times he has driven in 45, and he's stolen 12 bases while batting 303. Now, I emphasize the 45 runs batted in because last year he drove in 77 over the course of a full season. This year we are looking at 45 over about a third of a season. Now, he's not going to project out as, as nicely as that currently looks. He's not going to have 130 RBIs or whatever, but he'll have over 100 RBIs. That's pretty much a guarantee. The steals are still there. The batting average is still there. Over the last month, he's batting 351. He's really turned on the Jets over the last month as well, stealing eight of his 12 bases in that span. I still view him as the best fantasy player in baseball. Uh, I know that there might be a little bit of room to disagree there, but for someone who gives you coverage in all five categories like that at an elite level in every category, the home runs are maybe not elite level, but 28 last year, especially out of the middle infield. I mean, it's pretty much elite, right, at that point. He, for me, I don't know that there's any better player that you can roster in fantasy baseball. And the numbers, I mean, everything is just so great with him. He's he's upped his walk a little bit, but he's also upped his strikeout. The BABIP, for him, is always crazy high. It's 351, but his career average is 345, so there's nothing to worry about there. Uh, everything for me is just... it's. I love this guy so much as a player. When he got traded to the Dodgers, uh, I had him last year in my, in my main league. And I was like jumping for joy that he got traded to the Dodgers because that second base eligibility opened up, more RBI opportunities opened up there in that lineup. And now with the whole season there, I I don't think there's any question he can be the number one, the numero uno. So if you do uh, have Sandy Alcantara, I honestly would try and make that swap. Uh, I know there's obviously you guys are going to say you might have a shortstop already. If you have Alcantara, you don't need to do that. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. But I think as a whole, that would be a really nice target to go for because they're both they're both scorching hot, but I don't think anybody's going to try and really give you too much of a hard time about Alcantara. If they're digging into the numbers and they're seeing some of the things that I'm seeing, they might be a little bit worried.
but as a whole, the fantasy community is pretty sold on Sandy. And I am as well, but I think that we're seeing like the 100th percentile version of him at this moment. And once we drop down to like the 80th or 90th percentile version, he'll probably fall into that 50, 60, 70 range for the season again. And obviously there'll be a bad start or two mixed in there at some point. I think that it's a good time to sell him. And I, I'm going to catch some flack. I already know. I already know that you guys are going to drag me for this, but I think that it's a decent move right now to, to at least explore the opportunity. And it's not uh, you have to get rid of Alcantara moment. It's a explore the market and see what kind of value there is out there for him. Let's move on to Alex Wood now. So he went seven innings last night against the Rockies. He gave up five hits, struck out five, only the one earned run through 101 pitches which was just shy of the season high. His season high was 104 that he threw also against the Rockies earlier in the season. You guys that follow me on Twitter and that read my writing that goes out on sportsethos.com on the weekends know that I've been a proponent of buying him for quite some time. I think that he's been quite unlucky. If you look at the batting average on balls in play, it's 340. You can't expect that to continue like that for so long. And it was similar in his 2020 season. I know he only played in nine games. He only started two of them. But that year, the batting average on balls in play was 385, and it didn't uh, it didn't translate well. His ERA 639, and uh, granted, only only a few games, and he was coming out of the pen a lot. But still, it's been something that has hurt him uh, periodically throughout his career. Last year, when the batting average on balls in play was at 305, which is pretty much average, he was 10 and four with a 383 ERA, and he was very serviceable. So there's definitely still room for him to grow. Those of you who listen know that I love the Giants pitching team. I know that whatever the hell that is they do over there, <clears throat> they churn out good pitchers. Every single year they take guys from different locations. They develop their own guys. And whatever the case may be, they are an elite franchise at pitching, whether it be development or tweaking mechanics, what have you. Whatever the case may be, they know what they're doing. So Alex Wood is just another example of that. I'm not worried that we haven't quite seen what we wanted to this point. I mean, 423 ERA is not terrible. You'd hope for more than three victories in his 11 starts, but I think we're going to start seeing a much better version of him going forward. Let's talk a little bit of Mitch Keller. Uh, Mitch Keller did get the victory yesterday against the Tigers, and we were joking with this. We were joking about this the other day that any any pitcher going up against the Tigers is a viable stream, and Keller was one of those guys. I mean, he's not viable in any other any other situation. He gets hit around quite a bit. Brutal control. He walks a lot of batters. Not major strikeout numbers. Every now and then they're okay. But last night against the Tigers, he went six innings, gave up four hits, only one earned run. He walked two and struck out seven. We don't need to get into him too much because he's really not going to be much of an option. But it just goes to show you that someone, even someone as poor as him, can be a solid option against a team like the Tigers. The Tigers and the Athletics, as a rule of thumb, if your pitchers are going up against them, they're must-starts. But even if you're looking at the waiver wire and you're looking at most added players or you're looking at my threads that I post in the morning, most mornings, of most added players, and you see that someone's facing the Tigers or the Athletics, most of the time I'm going to recommend them. Most of the time they're going to be solid options because those offenses are just so anemic. They, can usually, they usually can't get much going. So I'm going to be fine in pretty much any situation. Obviously, it may vary case by case a little bit, but most situations we're going to be fine in streaming those guys in against the Tigers and the Athletics. Let's talk a little bit about Merrill Kelly because I've had some questions about Merrill Kelly, and I have quite a few shares myself. Uh, last night, he went six innings, or yesterday in the afternoon, I believe, he went six innings against the Reds, gave up one hit, three walks, and struck out five. 
he has been a serviceable option. And I mentioned it yesterday. He had a couple of rough outings, but if you look at the rough outings, the outings this season where he's given up, uh, well, the one really bad one was the Dodgers where he gave up eight earned runs. Other than that, we've seen a really great version of him. And I think you, you get a pass for having a bad outing against the Dodgers, even if you have a couple of them, because like we talked about throughout, throughout this whole show, since I've started it, the Dodgers lineup is ridiculous. If there's any guy who has regular playing time in that lineup, they're pretty much worthy of a roster spot. Like they could pretty much feed like eight mouths fantasy wise in that lineup, eight or nine, even depending on, depending on who's up, who's hitting well. So, it's obviously not great, but if you take away that eight earned run game, he's looking at a sub three ERA, well sub three. So I think he's honestly got to get a little bit of a pass there. I know that fantasy managers have not been sold on him, and I understand. I mean, he doesn't pitch for a particularly great team. They're not going to win a ton of games, which is a common theme of mine. If a guy doesn't pitch for a great team, I'm typically not going to be too far in on them just because it's going to limit your opportunity for wins. So far with Kelly, that hasn't really done that. He's got five wins in his 12 outings. The other numbers are fairly sustainable. The batting average on balls in play is 298. That'll probably stay about where it is. He's leaving 75% of batters on, which is about where he is for his career, 73. So those numbers are pretty much where they're going to be. The fielding independent pitching is 337 compared to his ERA of 332, which is showing us that this is a fairly accurate representation of what Kelly will give you going forward. I like him. I personally am going to be holding him in the leagues where I have him, and I think that he can be a valuable asset. Certainly, he's a good streaming option if you're not going to make the jump and and roster him. But there will certainly be opportunities where you can go ahead and stream him in for a certain matchup. He gets the Reds again next time at home. That one, for me, he's a must-add for that for that next start. It might have been a little bit uh, – might have – made you a little bit nervous to add him for this start in Cincinnati because we all know Great American Ballpark to be one of the more hitter-friendly parks in baseball. Next time out, he gets them at home in the more spacious Chase Field, and I think that he's going to be a must-roster guy for that start. I think that he's a must-add for his start. Uh, this should be next Monday, I believe. He'll be getting that start uh, Monday or Tuesday. I'm not, I'm not looking at the schedule right now, but Early next week, he should be a priority add, and I'll talk about him on the weekend as well. He'll be someone I include in my piece uh, over, the, over the weekend, my Sunday article for Sports Ethos. Let's talk about Alex Fado because he has also been fairly surprisingly good to me. I didn't think – I thought he'd be okay. I didn't think we'd see, see him be this good. So he went five innings last night against the Pirates, struck out seven, giving up just one earned run, one walk, and he gave up three hits. He has gone at least five innings in every outing of his major league career and has not, to this point, given up more than two earned runs. I think that he's a pretty strong ad. And, I mean, I know I know that I'm contradicting myself a little bit because playing for a shit team it is going to limit his opportunities to get victories. But at the same time, he's given us seven straight starts that have been fairly serviceable. All of them have been pretty serviceable. And... He should have more than one win through those seven starts, if we're being honest. The Tigers are just they're just shithouse, right, like we said. So I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm seeing that, yeah, he's leaving more runners on base than he probably should be, 84%. That'll probably correct itself to somewhere closer to where he was in the minor leagues. He's uh, allowing a 287 batting average on balls in play, about, about where you'd expect. The ERA is 292. The fielding independent pitching is 392. It's a little bit higher, but I still think he's within the range of roster territory, specifically if we're talking about deeper leagues. I think Fado is pretty all right. Not going to spend too much time on him, but I think that in deeper leagues and 
You know, even in some 12 and 14 team leagues, depending on how managers prioritize pitching versus lineups in those particular, in whatever leagues you guys happen to be in, I think that he can be a strong add. So depending on who you're dropping, depending on what the situation is, I would advocate in 14 and plus size leagues. Uh, that was poorly phrased, but 14 team leagues and larger, I think that he is a must add guy. And if you're talking about uh, 12s and below, I think that he's a streamer at the moment. I wouldn't be running to grab him in those in the in that kind of format, but I think that still there is a, still decent uh, decent value that you can have from him there. He gets the White Sox next time out, an offense that has struggled this season, so I think that he'll be a solid stream uh, next time out there. Let's move on now. Who should we talk about next? I think Tyler O'Neill makes a good target to talk about next because he's someone that a lot of people had given up on. I always thought it was a little bit too soon to be giving up on him, especially what he gave you last year. Uh, I feel kind of foolish about my early season or my preseason uh, Tyler O'Neill MVP pick at this point, but it happens. It does happen, guys. You can't always get it right, and he is definitely someone I did not get it right on in that regard. I still don't think he should be getting dropped. He did hit a home run yesterday, two hits, drove in three. I think that he's definitely someone that needs to be rostered. And I've, I get these questions uh, fairly regularly now. I mean, he was someone who was like 99% rostered at the beginning of the season. Now we're looking at 87. And I get these questions where it's, should I drop Tyler O'Neill or should I drop, I don't know, someone who's, for me, like very inferior to Tyler O'Neill, at least with their ceiling-wise. They have nowhere near the kind of potential that he has. And people are prioritizing these guys. And I can't think of anybody off the top of my head now that I've been asked about. I think it was Brandon Marsh the other day, actually. Someone asked about Brandon Marsh. Should they move on from him or Tyler O'Neill? And you can't be moving on for O'Neill if, if those are your options right there. Uh, for me, the power and the speed are still there. He can hit for a high average. He hits in a great lineup. I am not worried about O'Neill. I think that if he has been dropped by anybody, uh, he's a seriously strong ad in your leagues, and you guys should prioritize trying to get him on your rosters. If you have to spend a bunch of fab or if you have to use first waiver priority, I think it's worth it. I don't think it'll be a lot of leagues where he's available, but there's definitely some people who have grown tired of what we've got from him to this point. And I understand it. He has been injured, and there have been a couple of things. Like, at the beginning of the year, he just wasn't very valuable. He just, he just wasn't. Um... Now, how much of that is due to the shoulder problem that he had going on? I'm not really sure, but... Whatever the case may be, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think that if he is floating around on any of those waiver wires, probably in shallower leagues, but I still think that he's someone that you guys should be adding like pronto if he is out there. The, the potential, there's no one with that kind of ceiling who's going to be sitting there on the waiver wire. So for me, he's, he's a no, no question add if he is there. I understand he's probably not in a lot of cases, but he is only 70% rostered on ESPN. So if he is... In one of the, if you are in one of those leagues where he is on the waiver wire, I think that he's a really strong ad. That will do it for yesterday. Let's take a look at some of the hot pickups today. So Connor Pilkington is the number one added player today. He's seen a big boost in roster percentage. He was at like 1% on the weekend when I wrote about him, or maybe 2%, and now he's at 17%. I was expecting or I was hoping to get the two starts out of him, but it didn't happen. It, it sucks. didn't happen. It's something that I have warned about in the past in terms of you add a guy, you're hoping to get two starts out of him. They push him back to, I mean, if you get him on Monday or Tuesday, you're probably getting a second start, depending on if there's an off day in there. Uh, if you're starting on Monday, you're pretty much always going to get a second start. But like I've said, 
Uh, managers can be real dickheads. Sometimes they don't care. A lot of th- every time they don't care about our fantasy stuff because it doesn't matter to them. I understand it. It just kind of sucks that they don't take that into account. And obviously they're not gonna they're not gonna give a shit about fantasy. I mean, maybe some of them do. Maybe some of them are playing in fantasy leagues. We know that there are some players who are playing in fantasy leagues, whether it be Mr. Peterson or Mr. Fam or Mr. Commissioner Mike Trout, for that matter. There are players who do play fantasy, but I don't think that that extends to the managers, and I don't think that they really care about uh, any two-start stuff or any, you know, getting seven games from a guy in a week versus five or whatever bullshit. I don't think that they care. So, with all that being said, we're only getting one start out of Connor Pilkington. He's been successful because of his strikeout percentage. He's at 29.1, and he's also straining more than 80% of runners on base. That will come down over time, but to this point, we've seen it sustain over a couple of starts. It's not going to stay, but for now, uh, it's it's looking pretty okay. He's got a fielding independent pitching of 2.20. He needs to do a bit of a better job at limiting his walks. He's walking, I think, more than 10% of his batters, but he does uh, strike me as a very solid stream tonight against Oakland. Like I said... If someone is playing Oakland or if they are playing the Tigers, it pretty much always makes them a viable streamer. And when you look at the other numbers with him, I like the other numbers that what, what I'm seeing other than the walk percentage. Sorry, it's more than 10. It's 12.7. That's the only thing that really worries me there. But as a whole, I think that he's a very strong add today uh, against the Athletics. Moving on, we have Zach Eflin. And he has been... He's been serviceable himself. Uh, he's had a couple of really good outings recently. He went eight innings last time. I think it was against the Angels. Yeah, it was eight inning win against the Angels. And a couple times prior, there was a, a if he went mixed in there against the Mets. But he struck out 12 Dodgers the time before that in the tiny little Citizens Bank Park that we know as the Shoebox. When Scott Bogman came on, the Shoebox, I really like that name, so shout out to Scott. I've used it quite a bit since he was on the show he will get the Brewers tonight. They are 26th in the league in hits and 17th in their on-base plus slugging. Kind of middle of the pack towards the end of the pack there in terms of those numbers. I see him as a pretty safe streaming option today. Uh, going forward, if he was on a different team other than the Phillies, I think that he'd be like a strong, strong play. But the amount of starts that he does get at home kind of limits his value there. It's a tough park to pitch in. If he were to be traded, which I doubt it, uh, he'll be a, he'll be a strong ad. But I don't think we're going to see that. I think he's a good streamer, and I think he's a good streamer today and in certain situations. But I don't think that he is a must roster type of player. Let's talk about Santiago Espinal. Uh, he's fooled me a little bit, despite watching him pretty much every game he's ever played in his career. Uh, he's fooled me a little bit. He has hit three home runs, seventeen runs plus RBIs in the last two weeks. He's batting three oh eight. He's been a valuable asset, and like we talked about with Cronenworth, second base is not a very deep position. When you have guys like Espinal and Cronenworth ranked in that top 15 or so fantasy-wise, even higher possibly, it's definitely a weaker position. It's not like your third base or your first base or your shortstop. There are definitely fewer position players that are going to be able to give you fantasy value there. Espinal's bounced all over the Blue Jays lineup. He's batted everywhere in that lineup this season except for third, which has been reserved for Mr. Guerrero. I think that he's valuable, guys. I think that he is a decent ad. Uh, earlier in the season, I was a little bit worried, and I'm still a little bit worried because I think this is about as good as we're going to see him, and I don't know that it will sustain for very long. But while he is batting like this, I mean, he can hit for a high average. We saw it last year. He batted 311 in about the same sample size that we've seen from him this year so far, 222 at-bats versus 193. We're closing in after a few more games. We'll see those at-bats line up here. And what we've seen this year in that same kind of sample size is more home runs, more RBIs, 
Uh, we, we're seeing a, a better power swing out of Espinal, and I do think, mixed with that eligibility he has at third base, I think that he can be a decent ad for you guys to plug into lineups here and there. Maybe you have a disappointing second baseman you want to move on from. I would be all right with adding Espinal. Everybody we're going to talk about here is, I think, a solid ad. Uh, Gabriel Moreno is the next one, staying with the Blue Jays. He will be recalled for the weekend series against the Tigers, and presumably uh, after that as well, he will stay with the club, I would hope, anyway. Uh, he's the number four prospect in all of baseball, and I think he's probably going to fill in that Danny Jansen role. Danny Jansen broke his hand the other day. We'll likely see uh, four times a week, I would say, for Moreno, with the possibility that some weeks are three, some weeks are five games. I think we're probably going to see it on the higher end because he is, like I said, the fourth overall prospect in baseball. It's another weak fantasy position, the catcher slot. There's really, I mean, generously speaking, maybe 12 guys who can be valuable catchers uh, in fantasy. So if you're in a two-catcher format, Moreno, for me, is a must-add, immediately must-add. Anybody deeper than an eight-team league uh, pretty much is a must-add for me. I think with the hype around him, I mean, I know he doesn't hit for a ton of power, but he hits for a really high average. He's going to slot right into a lineup that is starting to figure things out, that is packed full of talent. I see him as being worth an ad in most leagues. Daniel Hudson is the last guy we'll talk about here. He has been the most reliable Dodgers reliever to this point. He's got two wins, five saves. He's got a 186 ERA and a .78 whip. Craig Kimbrell has been just so-so, and he's currently on the paternity list, so we saw Hudson get a save yesterday. I think he has an opportunity to be this year's kind of Andrew Kitteridge type player. Someone who can go out there and give you fantastic ratios to go along with close to 10 wins and close to 10 saves. That kind of guy can be extremely valuable. So I think that Hudson is, he's available in most leagues. I think he is, uh, let me just quickly check, 29% rostered here on Yahoo. He's very widely available. I'd say that he is a strong ad if you're looking for a little bit of help in the bullpen. If you're looking for a little bit of help with your ratios in general, I think that he can be a strong play. So for me, that will be uh, he will be a strong ad anyway going forward here. Let's talk now about a couple of my favorite matchups that will be happening today. So in terms of the pitching matchups here, this one will probably have gotten underway by the time you guys have started listening to this show, but maybe some of you will listen right when it's posted and get it beforehand. Tyler Anderson and Dylan Cease is going to be taking place at 2.10 p.m. Eastern time. I see that as being one of the best pitching matchups, probably the best pitching matchup today. We have guys like Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole going today as well. And I, maybe you can make an argument that Burns and Eflin is the best pitching matchup. But for me, I think the one that I'm going to be glued to is Anderson and Cease. We've seen Anderson be elite over these last few starts and wondering if he can keep it up with the incredibly low walk rate. We'll see if he can keep up that same kind of success. He's someone who should have been added pretty much everywhere, and I think he I think he was. If I just check briefly here on his roster percentage, we're looking at 83. So you, you guys have caught on. Well done. He is rostered in just about every league there. Dylan Cease is another guy who is obviously rostered already. Elite strikeout numbers I'm hoping to see here. Tough matchup, obviously, against the Dodgers, but I think that we're looking at probably a low-scoring game here. One thing that does worry me a touch with Cease is the decline of the strikeout numbers these last three times. He only struck out, let's see, four, five, and five, respectively, over his last three outings. Boston, Chicago, and Tampa. Chicago is in the Cubs. So I think that we're needing to see a bit of a return to form for him for strikeouts, which we will. I mean, he's got 81 strikeouts in 58 innings on the season, despite those last couple of rough outings. So not really worried about him there. But I will like to see him get back on track with a closer to six or seven strikeout performance today. Guys, that is going to do it for me. 
Uh, you guys can find me, like I said at the beginning, on Twitter at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Those of you who already follow me there know that I'm very good with answering questions. I don't think I've ever missed a question that you guys have asked on Twitter. I try and get back right away. I mean, it's possible that something has slipped through the cracks, but I really doubt it. I'm really trying to be with it on the Twitter side to try and help you guys as much as I can because I know that sometimes there's analysts who don't answer and it can be kind of frustrating if you're trying to you know, make a sit-start decision. Not that I'm the foremost authority, but it's sometimes nice to just have a second uh, set of ears to run an opinion by. And sometimes you guys are just looking for validation in what you're already thinking and you're just hoping for someone else who will agree with you. So I'm always there be an extra set of eyes or ears to take a look at your rosters, to answer your questions, sit, start, trade decisions, whatever the case may be. If you want to just talk sports in general or baseball in general, I'm, I'm there. I am a man of the people. If you guys want to see something on the show or someone talked about on the show, always the DMs are open or you can tweet right at me and say, hey, Joe, can you deep dive into so-and-so tomorrow? And I will oblige. I want to be here for you guys. I want to provide a product that is enjoyable to listen to that you guys have an input on. So I will get to mailbag shows in the future. I will do Ask Me Anything stuff on Twitter. Uh, I want to get you guys involved. I want to have everybody who's listening to the pod go follow on Twitter. And everybody who is following on Twitter, come and listen to the pod. For those of you who were sent here by the great Dan Bespris of Fantasy NBA Today, he refers to it as the sweet equilibrium between the Twitter and the podcast side. And there's even a third uh, element to that with my weekend articles that go out. Typically, we're talking about Sunday midday here, and there's some advice to, uh, to help you out in the coming week. Also, sometimes some notes on the previous week. Pretty soon, I'm going to be having one of those articles that will be devoted to a midseason awards, fantasy-wise. We're not talking about actual baseball there. We're talking about fantasy awards, so the most valuable fantasy player, most valuable fantasy pitcher, most valuable reliever, best late-round pick, stuff like that. We're going to be doing something like that. And we'll probably do a podcast dedicated to it, and we will also more than likely uh, get it in an article. Probably next weekend's article, I will do something like that. So guys, if you haven't already done so and you're still listening to the show, which means you must like what you're hearing, at least to some degree, go hit the five-star review button. That is a hugely, hugely important way that you guys can help out here, especially you guys in the States, because I know there are different review sites for Apple. Uh, If you are looking at Canada versus the Great Britain versus wherever the hell, It's different sets of reviews, and I know that a lot of the viewers are in the United States. So if you guys happen to be north of me in the great country of America, I would really appreciate you guys hitting the five-star button there. It's a great way to show support. It doesn't cost you a penny. None of my content costs you a penny. That's the best thing about it. You guys don't have to pay a dime for this. Maybe down the line, we'll see about maybe some paywalled content next year. But this year, you guys will not have to pay one penny for any of my analyses, articles, podcasts, nothing. So if you guys can hit the five-star review button, that is a huge way to help out for free. Guys, we will see you tomorrow. We'll get you all set for the weekend, talk about some good streamers for the weekend. Until then, cheers, everybody. Cheers.